Welcome to the Contracting Handbook Podcast, a podcast for how to run a small contracting company. Whether you're a general contractor like me or a trade contractor, starting fresh or been in business for years, here's all the stuff you never knew you'd have to know before you started your contracting business with the man who's seen it all, your host, Mike Kenoki. That's me. Is this thing on? All right. Let's talk about your bid and proposal. And a proverb I once heard from a Brit while I was floating down a river in Laos. Fortune favors the brave. And just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Because it is relevant. Okay, so the presentation of bid and proposal... The bid, the proposed cost of materials for the job, and the proposal company plan of action, a.k.a. quote, estimate, number, should be thorough, clear, and appealing. It also should be typo-free and well-written to set yourself apart from your competitors. Ultimately, your bid proposal will give your potential client a comprehensive and understandable cost for a project while... And will include a tentative schedule. A transparent bid and proposal are one more way to edge out the competition because the client will more easily digest and absorb the information presented to them. Additionally, a clearly written bid and proposal saves you time because you'll spend less time explaining different parts of the bid and proposal. Start the bid and proposal immediately after your site visit or ASAP. That is episode 12 of this podcast, the 11 key components of first-time site visits. Go listen to that before you listen to this. There's a couple more you should listen to as well, but I'll get to those. The process of creating a proposal will utilize uh, sketches either provided to you or created by you to use in conjunction with information collected from site visits. Uh, We probably won't, I'm not going to get into drawings too much today. Just, just a rough outline of bid and proposal. So as your plan develops, you're going to determine the types and quantities of materials for reaching out to subcontractors to get quotes and advice. Uh, To prepare, I recommend using Microsoft Office Suite and some sort of sketch program. Uh, Microsoft Office is often preloaded on computers, making it an an inexpensive choice as well. While others recommend QuickBooks, uh, I don't like the presentation of the quote. I don't think it's aesthetically pleasing for what I do. Uh, I think it's difficult to present intricate details there. And I think QuickBooks is more geared towards trade contractors with to have a little more limited menu of options for a client uh like like gutters or shingles or you know stuff like that doesn't have all the details all the custom stuff so okay um i said i wasn't going to talk about drawing i just will say a little bit i recommend um sketch software such as chief architect if you got the money because it's money I, i i had that for 10 years and uh, until it stopped working, and I now I use SketchUp. 
and which I pay for. I pay for a professional version of that, and it's phenomenal. Uh, for small projects, you can also, you know, just hand sketch stuff. And I and the, I'm, I I like to have a sketch because it helps me think about the project. Even if you just draw the outside dimensions and put notes in there while you're developing your idea here, it's really helpful. So organizing after your site visit, you've gotten back to your office space and you got notes and thoughts from your meeting. It's time to start putting together your proposal. So this overlaps from that episode last week. I don't want it to get confusing. There's so many things to, you know, like I said last week, there's so many directions we can go. So one of these documents I'm about to describe is the one you made last week. So start by creating a spreadsheet and three word documents and potentially a drawing. Uh, materials, so your spreadsheets for materials, your to-do list document that you created when you were estimating time or for estimating time. A document that is uh, just questions that come up as you go. Just, what is this? Oh, I didn't get this. Blah, blah, blah. Just start writing those down or, t or typing them, rather. And then the third document will be a draft proposal that will ultimately be turned into presentable bid and proposal. So go back and listen to episode 27 if you haven't. Um, and then... Another recommendation I have for putting together bid and proposal and anything really is having two screens. So I have a I have a second screen. I used to use it for day trading, and now that um, I don't do that anymore, I have it for this. And remember, okay, so now you're starting to put these documents together. Remember from episode 22, your job name because you've got to have your job name on all these, start saving them so you don't lose the information. It's just the address, the number, the numerical address of the property you're working on. For instance, 123 Main Street. So now you've got your, you can look at your 123 Main Street material spreadsheet simultaneously while you look at your 123 Main Street to-do list and make corresponding entries on both. Or you, or, and you can quickly maximize and minimize the one, two, three Main Street questions document as questions arise and things that are unclear. Just anything you have, whether it's you, for you, your client, just get those written down so you don't forget about them. And a lot of them will get answered on their own. And you're going to be compiling questions for your client. So you're not asking them 10 different times different questions you 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 have everything at once and usually by the time you get your stuff compiled many 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 of those questions will be answered already or you'll go i don't really need to ask them that um so now once you've completed your to-do list and you have a list of questions you can start to put together um that materials list and estimate labor uh, using the Excel document created. Insert documents in the first column, units, costs, and adjacent columns, and markups in the next adjacent column. Each one of the tasks listed on your to-do list should have a corresponding row or set of rows for your materials needs. 
Using Excel is a simple way to organize materials because you can easily change the quantities and then have a format to use for similar jobs at a later date. And I actually have one, I have a, I have a few different um, templates that I use and I pull out that template and then, you know, just rename it my job, my current job name. And even, and, and a lot of the templates have way more stuff in them than, uh, than a lot of the jobs, but it's, it's kind of a compilation of everything I've experienced in a, in a template. So once you've estimated materials, you should send this, uh, spreadsheet to your local providers to get real numbers. Just, you know, make another copy of it that just has the material and the quantity, send it to them. And while that's out, start to put your proposal together when you feel like you have any complete information. So if you feel like something's good to go, start making line items. If you're stuck on a certain aspect of the proposal, waiting on information, unsure about the aspect of a project or just plain experiencing a block, which will happen. Sometimes you just can't do it. Uh, it's good practice just to keep the ball rolling by processing what you know into your draft proposal. You can add the line item without numbers as well, just so you remember to put it in. And you're constantly saving this as you're putting the information in. Now, here's a little branding insight. Um, have a letterhead with your logo at the top. Okay, so we're formatting this, this document now. Remember when I said to get your logo in front of your clients as much as possible? Well, here's another opportunity again. Smack at the top. You email them this PDF, not Word document, PDF. I'll talk about this later again. They open it, and the first thing they see is, boom, your logo. Do it. Do it. Put all the contact information for both parties on the document. First, your address, phone number, license information, Uh Add your clients' names to address the document. You should know their first names. You wrote them down in that, and it's covered in that site visit episode. Uh, you should know the the name, first names of any adults involved in the project at the site where you're working. Putting their names, both all adult names in the proposal lets them know that no one's being left out of the process. You'd be amazed at how you can hurt people's feelings if you don't include their name. How do I know? Because I've done it. Not only is it reassuring your clients to see their names in print, but it will also help you remember. So when you see them, you say, hey, George, hey, Wheezy, what's going on? All right. And again, covered in episode 12. Provide a brief scope of work. Okay. So we're actually making this proposal now it's a document it's got the information we just said now your scope your scope of work details will vary from project to project but i see it as a general statement that captures the entire project it's a reminder to your client and yourself of what the project entails it's a balance between the finer details and the broad scope you have reached the meat of the proposal where the money's involved and where there's money involved there's emotion involved You have a spreadsheet with a large amount of detailed information and you have the opportunity to present the information in infinite ways 
and you need to determine a way that works best for you, but also makes your potential client comfortable. Proposals can be scary to people. Uh, so you really got to figure out a way that your clients like it. And I, I, there is a architect that I work with who's, who saw a proposal I sent to one of his clients. I don't remember what the job was. And he said, wow, you must get every job. And because he said it was just really uh, nicely written and the breakdowns were super digestible. And here's more about that. So you've just worked out, you're, you've estimated time, you've listened to that last episode, you're really getting good at this, and you have this massive number. Uh, don't present it in one number. A simple labor estimate, say $35,000 or $50,000 or $70,000, clients might just ask themselves, well, why so much? And this can put your credibility into question. Uh, and go listen to episode 15 to learn about company credibility or to just hear what I had to say about it, not learn about it, but, uh, okay. So I like to break down labor by job. So you already did that when you, when you, when you estimated time, you kind of have that. So now you can just multiply those numbers by your hourly rate, whatever you're charging for your employees or yourself, how are you doing that? So, you know, for part of the job, you had 50 man hours at, at $85 an hour. And you take that number and just put labor under that part of the job. You've got materials and labor for that part of the job. Let's just say that that's, um, that's you know, framing the addition or something like that. And then you have another uh, labor and, and uh, materials for windows and doors and for trim work, blah, blah, blah. These are line items. You know, my proposals might be broken down into, you know, sections, you know, one through 19 or, or, or whatever it is. So then, um, oh, and then provide, you know, provide line items also for the, the trade work that's being done. So, you know, you have plumbing rough in. That's usually just one number. Labor and materials. Um, electrical rough in. Plumbing trim out. Electrical trim out. Mechanical. Blah, blah, blah. And then note somewhere, I noted at the bottom, that uh, all the materials are marked up X amount. So they know you're marking it up and, and similarly that your subcontractors are all marked up, say 10%. And this is also in, just indicated in the contract. So it's clear people don't like to have to ask that, you know, a lot of people don't want to really know, but you know, they don't want to ask and then put you in a weird position. The more information you give them, the better off you, you are. And, uh, and then, hey, as far as markup goes, I'm not going to get into how you should mark up. I, I've got my own way. And, you know, when I listen to all these guys talking about markup that are like markup professionals, uh, I think, yeah, I probably should have hired one of them a long time ago. But 
so anyway, I'm going to have Kyle Hunt, who is an expert on that, on the show, uh, hopefully soon here, and he will elaborate. He's he's uh, he's an awesome he's an awesome uh, speaker. So you've included all the labor materials and subcontracting that will be included in your project. You still have to consider what's not included and write it. This goes back to properly managing expectations and will be appreciated by your client. The last section in my proposal pretty much is exclusions in bold. And there I list what products and services will not be under contract. Without fail, lighting is the first on that list for me. Clients provide lighting. Light fixtures can vary widely in cost. So don't get caught in the situation where your client is expecting you to buy lighting. You know, because that can, that can eat your margin. Like you built a garage, but you, you, you didn't exclude lights. And now you got to spend a thousand bucks or 1500 bucks on, on, on lighting because you didn't tell them they had to buy it. And though people don't like to have to spend their own money outside of the contract, they think everything should be included. You just, if you have the exclusions there, they can figure out how much more money the project costs it and it ends up making more sense. Um, and you look at an amateur when you have to go back and tell someone, Oh, I forgot to exclude it. Like it's on you. Um, so what else might be excluded? I, anything, you know, I'll, the other thing is anything not, not included above is excluded. And, uh, anything you've discussed specifically, you could say, uh, windows, for instance, if they don't know what kind of windows they're doing, if they're doing some special color frame windows or something like that, or, um, or they want a special order shower hardware or something like that. Uh, and, and mostly plumbing fixtures are not, are excluded as well, but you figure out what your exclusions are and just make sure you put them in the, in the proposal. Um, so breaking down materials into components, you know, these line items where you're, you have a component for materials and, and a component for labor helps setting budgets. Um, so if you put $800 in a budget for a bathtub, they, you, ha, you have to let them know that that's budgeted and they will have to pay anything above that in addition to the estimated price, such as when they choose a $5,000 bathtub. Itemize custom services, unfamiliar duties, and items that requiring more information, etc. as TBD or to be determined. If you don't know when you send that contract, that proposal out, make sure you have a TBD there. Um, so it's important that you include these items that you cannot price. So it stays on your radar. And that your potential client sees that you're considering all the aspects of the project. Clients don't realize how much time is involved and custom processes, and that it can that it also increases your overhead costs. If there are custom items to be included in the project, you have to come to an understanding with your client that the item will have a hefty price tag or will be done 
time and materials. Okay. Custom items, any custom process in your projects, you just tell them it's time and materials. Don't give, don't, if you can't nail a number, don't. Certain aspects of, of, of construction cannot be priced because they, it's, it depends on the day. It depends on what's going on. It depends on who's doing the work. But, okay, I take it back. If you're going to give them a number, you just make your estimate and then double it. And you might be right. But I don't like doing that. Because if you, if you double it and you still guess wrong, it's, uh, it's a bummer. So, finalizing your proposal. Okay. Remember, don't let the large numbers scare you. You've done that. You've done very thoughtful consideration of your time estimates. Don't let the large numbers scare you. Let your clients worry about that. You've done your research. Um, and fortune favors the brave. If they balk at your numbers and your numbers are legit, move on. There'll be other clients. It can be painful to waste a lot of time on a, on a really good uh, proposal, but it's also an awesome exercise. And sometimes you just got to do it. I mean, even if you know you're competing against someone who's going to beat you in price, sometimes it's worth it uh, because certain clients... Mm, certain clients, even if they don't work with you, if you wrote a good proposal, they're going to talk about you to other people. And you, everyone is not your client, but sometimes their friends are. So it's worth it. Um, okay, so when you're done with your bin proposal, print a copy to read right away. Take it with you in a folder to read ASAP. Print it. Never send a proposal after immediately after completing it you nine out of ten times you'll forgotten something you made a typo or come up with lower cost way to do the project so just sit on it for a night uh you're not always going to forget something but just sit on it you might want to add something you might want to change some wording um unless you're in a you know unless it's been two weeks since you met these people and you're been dragging your heels on getting the proposal out, but I don't recommend doing that. I used to, I used to let things go a bit and no, it's just, you, you should work on it right away. You should prioritize writing proposals. You should be getting numbers back to people in days. If you can in days, if you get proposals back in days, you will get the, you will, you'll win the contract you will be transforming that thing into a contract because you show your client that you really care when you, when you, when you get back to them quickly. And while the other, they're like, they're like, Oh, well, we're going to wait for the other contractors to get back to us. And meanwhile, they've had yours to stare at and they might just lose patience with the other contractors or they might just blow them off. Cause you were so professional when you showed up, you remembered their names you showed you cared. You picked up all the little tidbits of the conversation because you took excellent notes and you, they see it in their proposal. Breadcrumbs, as Brian Kaplan called them in our interview. 
um, you'll win the contract. So you win. That's it for this episode. This week's shout out goes to Dan Bettinger, Bettinger, Bettinger of Honeybrook, Pennsylvania. He owns Dan Property Maintenance, which is also his handle on Instagram. Dan told me he loves the show because it's all about small contracting companies. And most construction podcasts talk about huge corporate budgets and aren't really geared towards guys like us, guys and gals like us. He also said that I'm not annoying to listen to. Well, <laughs> that's good to know that I'm not annoying to listen to and that I'm hitting my target audience, small contracting companies, because we make up the majority of contracting companies. We build and maintain our towns, our villages, cities, pueblos. We're pillars of our community. And that makes us, we may be small, but we are hugely important. So thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Okay, guys. Any questions, comments, put them in a review on Apple Podcasts, and I will get them answered ASAP. Okay. That's all I got. Later. Thanks for listening today. Go ahead and email me if you want to be on the show or want to tell me what you like or don't like about it at my email, info at thecontractinghandbook.com. And this is where I say, if you have not subscribed, please subscribe wherever you source your podcast. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Later.